are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by True North Arrows. True North Arrows has developed the archery industry's best environmentally safe products to stain, crown dip, crest, and clear finish your wood, carbon, and aluminum arrows. Their products are industrial and exterior grade to give you the toughest finish on the market, plus the true waterborne technology will give you professional results without the odors of solvent-based products of yesteryear. For cresting, True North has classic as well as vintage colors available in cresting paints and crown dip, and there's even metallic cresting paint available for those who really want to set their arrows apart from the crowd. And if you're a carbon arrow shooter, then check out their carbon cleaner. And there's also a carbon primer available to make your carbon and aluminum arrows resemble wood shafts. Now, I used to build a lot of custom arrows, and I've known Joe Callahan at True North for many years. His products for custom arrows are second to none. So be sure to check out his website. And while you're there, also look for the free how-to videos that Joe has made available there. Lastly, if you're not an era builder yourself, that's okay too, because Joe even sells fully built custom eras as well. So just head over to www.truenortheras.com and have a look for yourself. Well, all right, tonight on the podcast, we are joined by none other than Jarrett Babinsack of Bone Broadheads. How's it going, Jarrett? Good, fellas. How you doing? Doing really good, Nick. Yeah, really good. Really good. We've been uh, we've been trying to get this lined up, I believe, ever since we we spent some time chatting with you up in Michigan at, at the rendezvous at Compton's. Yeah, it's tough. Or it's uh, it's funny how that goes, right? Everybody gets busy. It's hard to make stuff happen, especially since we're all still working day jobs. Yeah, it kind of sucks that you have to <laughs> make money to pay bills, but yeah, we we all do. And I know you spend a lot of windshield time too, don't you? Oh yeah, quite a bit. I usually put sixty, seventy thousand miles a year in a car. Oh wow! Yeah, I know the the first time that we we tried to get this lined up, I think you had a we we actually had a tentative date, and then you had to go on a road trip. And we said, well, we'll reschedule it, and then just getting the, the schedules coordinated again just takes some time. But hey, you're here. We're ready to go. Right? I'm here. He is, and the yep. and the cool thing is that we actually got to meet him and hang out with him and make made him watch Escanaba in the moonlight before we interviewed him. <laughs> that was was that the vetting process that was, that, no. well if so then you failed because you guys all left too early <laughs> that's funny well that's too well now wait a minute left too early seems like i remember another fella just completely bailed out altogether and went home because he was yeah, too hot yeah, right, was, right, right, right before the who picture was that too. <laughs> yeah. and everybody got together and took a group picture as soon as i left that's yeah and that's no, awesome. no, and no <laughs> And we were all like, well, Nick's gone. Just take the picture. Uh, I tend to do that. I Batman out. My friends tell me that all the time. They say, oh, Nick's gone. <laughs> so the- I've, I've spent two decades in the beer industry. You know when it's time, and you just pull a ghost, man. Like, ah, no goodbyes. I am- no, no opportunity to be talked into staying for one more. Like, I'm out. I am I am not a goodbye guy waving at the nope. car as it goes away. I just leave. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the way to do it. Yep. Hard lessons learned. <laughs> that is good stuff. So I, I, I'm, I'm telling embarrassing stories on, on Nick now. I'll, I'll tell one on myself. And Jared, I'm not even sure if you remember this, but certain conversations that I have on, on social media just really stick in my head for, for some reason. But, you know, the first interaction I had with you was in one of the – uh, one of the cesspools that is a Facebook group. Um, and <laughs> I forget now how what the the topic of the conversation even was, but um, uh, the first thing I asked you was, 
you know, do you have a, a glue on model? And I know that you were thinking, oh, these damn traditional guys, you know. Um, and it wasn't so much that I, 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 I shoot wood arrows and need a, a glue-on head, but there's reasons I, I got into that. We, we traded some messages back and forth, and, you know, I kind of just stuck it in my back pocket and forgot about it. And then uh, yeah. when I ran into you up at, um, up at Compton's and, and got to looking at the, the, the head and talking to you a little bit more about it, and I said, you know what? I will, you know, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to try these things out again. So I did order a pack. I've got them here, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very excited about actually trying another screw in head for the first time in, in a long time. In a while. So, uh, but we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, let's, let's back up a little bit. And I guess, you know, for the listeners that don't know, and, and I'm, I guess I'm really one of them. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but. You know, tell us how you uh, what was the what was the process that you you went about to decide not not to build the broadhead, but to actually just decide. You know what we need to, I need to I need to build a better mass trap. I need to I need to build a better broadhead. How did how did that actually come about? Well, some people would say that it's a lack of common sense or just outright stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not as it's. It's what you might call a saturated marketplace, right? There's a ton of other broadheads on the market. Um, there's no really reinventing the wheel at this point. It's been done for eons. Um, you know, a sharp point at the end of a stick. There's there's not a lot of recreation that could take place. But, you know, I started bow hunting when I was 12. I probably read bows on the Little Delta, you know, 40 times. I grew up in Indiana fantasizing about moving out west and chasing critters with my recurve and, and I, you know, I've had a sketch for a similar looking broadhead in the back of a notebook for years, um, and always wanted to have something that I could kind of put out in into the world uh, from an equipment standpoint. And you know, I'm a, a consultant by trade now, and had an opportunity where I had some time and a little bit of money, and was in between big clients. And you know, I had that sketch hanging around in my in my backpack, and thought, so, you know, this is something that I've always wanted to do. I've, you know, shot and tested every other manner of broadheads, had kind of a running tally in my head of, you know, the things that I like, the things that I found to be inefficient, just through kind of, you know, in the field testing and testing at home and knew really what I wanted to do. And so, um, decided at that point that if I was going to do it, there was never going to be another better time. I had, you know, the, the money in the bank and a little bit of extra time to play with and decided to start down the road of, looking for manufacturers and testing different materials and, and all of that fun stuff. So that's kind of how that came to pass. Well, and, and I get what you're saying about the, the market being flooded. And then there's also the, the, for lack of a better term, the Ford versus Chevy. It's, it's kind of like, you know, yeah. my dad's tougher than your dad when you start talking about broadheads <laughs> with anybody. Uh-huh. But, oh, uh, yeah, for sure. The, the, the same can be said that, there truly are a lot of really bad broadheads on the market. Um, oh boy. Uh, yeah. You know, and I don't have to start throwing out names because nope. somebody will say any, any broadhead that I think is the worst possible creation that someone could conceive in their mind would say, man, that's the best broadhead that's ever been made. I don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, and I've had a lot of those conversations, but I was talking to the guys on the right to Rome podcast a couple of nights ago and, and, you know, their, their favorite saying is you're entitled to your, your own opinions, but not your own facts. And that's a favorite <laughs> quote of mine as well. Uh, and, and some things are just objectively true and some things are objectively not true. You know, there's, there's physics, there's math, there's in the world testing, there's, 
some things some things work and some things don't. I think that's been borne out over the course of time, right? And I've got a bunch of buddies that that shoot wheelie bows and a couple of years ago I blew out my right shoulder, tore my rotator cuff in a couple of spots and was looking at archery season fast approaching and my two options were pick one up and go bow hunting or don't go bow hunting. Um, and so I picked it up and started to apply all of the things I had learned over the course of time shooting stick bows, you know, to tune my compound. And so it was set it up to manufacture specs and then start tuning my arrow to that bow, you know, bear shaft right. tuning and trying to get a perfect tune and great arrow fly out to 30, 40 yards. And, you know, at that point, understanding that I shouldn't have to do any quote unquote broadhead tuning as long as I've got a great tune on my arrow to begin with, I should be in good shape. And, you know, lo and behold, the same principles still applied to, to the compound world. But what I started to learn hanging out with these guys and at the range and some of my buddies shoot that is just the inefficiency of some of the, the arrow setups, um, you know, the ultralight kind of uniformly weighted uh, arrow from, from tip to from tip to knock and just some of the broadhead designs that were being used and seeing some of the struggles these guys were having with penetration and lost game and started having the conversations about front of center and a heavier arrow and a better, more efficient broadhead design with those guys. And that's really where the, the light bulb went off for me is I really wanted to that kind of, when I set out to do the, the design work on it is I wanted it to create the smallest, narrowest, most durable single bevel that I could that optimize flight characteristics, particularly flight characteristics out of a high speed bow, which is kind of how we ended up with that 125 um, grain broadhead design. A 200 is fly great out of the highest, you know, speed bows out there too. But that was really where my head was at was, man, I've learned all of this stuff and I've seen that these things work and there just hasn't been much adoption by the rest of the guys shooting bows. And so that that was a big a big piece of it for me was I wanted to put something out there just to prove to them like no it's not hard to to shoot a fixed blade no it's not hard to tune a fixed blade broadhead to a high speed bow and as a matter of fact if you have the right broadhead it's going to fly just as well if not better it's going to penetrate better there's a whole host of benefits to shooting that kind of a broadhead with a higher front of center arrow um, and you know luckily I think we're starting to see it now they're starting to they're starting to pick up a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about on the trad side for decades. Yeah. So well, you use your, uh, I, I, sorry, Nick, I was going to go back just a couple things. Um, go for, go for it, Steve. Um, you know, one talking about opinions and facts and it, it, it can be said, never let, never let facts get in the way of good, of a good lie, but it's, it, you know, with, <laughs> with the broadhead industry, it's, you know, never let facts get in the way of a good marketing plan for a lot of these, but, uh, <laughs> yep. uh, and I, and I want to come back to some of the things you were just saying about tuning an Aeroflight with a broadhead from what I experienced with the, uh, the, the, I bought a three pack of the 200 grains and I'll come back yeah. to that, but I, I'm sorry, Nick, I interrupted you. No, all I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you is, uh, so you basically just use your, your compound buddies as guinea pigs. Is that kind of what you did? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, hey, I made this. Check this out. It's almost like, yeah. uh, let's get Mikey. He'll eat anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably showing my age on that one. but <laughs> He's, Oh, here comes Jared again. What's he got now? <laughs> Some brick That's on the funny. end of my bow. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's I was I was pleasantly surprised by how, you know, you're talking about not, not letting – uh, fat get in the way of a, a good marketing <laughs> plan or, or your opinion. But when I started to really think about it, 
and lay out how I was going to communicate the point of difference between our head design to some of those guys and, you know, to trad shooters as well was really just try to root it in fact and objective testing and a lot of the other testing that was out there and then try to get the heads into the hands of guys that shoot a lot and that kill animals and let them put them through the ringer. I mean, we went real soft launch last fall, um, just word of mouth, tried to get the heads out in front of people. didn't do a lot of marketing because I wanted to see like, okay, I'm going to put these out into the field. You know, yeah, I've tested them in my backyard on cow shoulders and you know, cinder block and plywood and they're holding up well, but I want to get them out into the real world. Let these guys shoot them, let them tune, um, let them take some animals with them and then get some real feedback before we go, go full bore behind it. You know, when I was laying out the design, it was that checklist of all that stuff that I'd gleaned over the years of, of hunting. And it was, what can we eliminate? And then what are the points that we really want to optimize? And we just tried with the design to take all of the inefficiencies and failure points out of it. So it was, you know, no screws, no vents, um, no, aluminum. no moving parts, no <sighs> aluminum, solid one piece, high grade carbon steel, 55, 57 Rockwell hardness. Um, you know, and, and where I think our heads really shine is the fact that we went narrower and shorter. Um, and the way that that convex blade comes together, you know, I don't have to remove material from the tip of that broadhead. Cause what I was finding with the, the, you know, the longer three to one broadheads and I shot a bunch of them was if they did fail and they don't always fail, but if they did, they typically tended to fail at the tip, that tip would curl over or it would break. And that's where I found the failure point. So, you know, when we talk about the three to one, um, design that mechanical advantage of that longer cutting surface, you know, sharing the, the job of, of cutting, if you bend that tip over on impact, um, you know, that mechanical advantage is now a moot point. It's out the window. And so we felt like we were willing to make the trade off to a shorter head for a couple of reasons. We were able to use, you know, a, a, a thicker blade, keep that blade thickness uniform from, you know, from end to tip. And then we don't have to remove any material at the tip. So, you know, a lot of those have the Tanto tips. I felt like you were taking already potentially weak spot of the design and then weaken it even further by removing material from a spot that might already be prone to bending or breaking to begin with. So that was really why we wanted to go with the tip design that we have and that blade shape was so that we could move more of the weight of that head proportionately to the tip because that's what's going to hit the animal first. That's what you got to make sure is strong enough and durable enough to hold up to the impact of, you know, an elk scapula or a femur rib. Um, so that was, you know, the thought process behind why we went with that convex blade design versus a more standard triangular shape. Sure. So, Jared, um, a lot of the, what you're saying, it sounds a lot like Ashby's 12 points. Did that kind of get you on the uh, on the path or, or, or you know, did did you vary from that at all or try to try to, you know, I don't know. You want to expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I've read that start to finish and i've shot a lot of other single bevels hunted with a bunch of them the last couple of years i hunted with the cutthroats from rocky mountain specialty gear and really liked them um you know i've shot vpa three blades and other three blades and shots wikis for a number of years when i was first getting started with you know wood arrows and shot a ton of different broadhead designs but what i had found kind of anecdotally through just you know in the field or shooting them into stuff at home was that yeah the, the single bevel was definitely the way that i wanted to go i felt like that was the optimal design 
And then it was a matter of, you know, how do I improve on that or can I improve on that? And if I can't improve on it or if I don't feel like I can improve on it, then why put another Me Too broadhead out into the market? And I didn't want to just put another broadhead out into the market based on gimmick or marketing or BS. We wanted to, you know, if I'm going to put something out there, I want to feel like it's differentiated, like we're adding something to the discussion or we are building the better mousetrap. And after testing different materials, we tested some two-piece stuff. We tested other single designs. And we felt like after, once we started seeing the flight characteristics of it and the durability and how well it withstood impact, we were pretty thrilled with what we were seeing. And I felt good about, you know, putting that product out into the market. So, Jared, a couple, there's there's several things that you've said there that I'll try to remember to touch on each one of them. So if you, going back to the, the point on some of these, and I'm going to throw a lot of different broadheads out there simply because I don't want to pick on one, but, you know, the the, right. the Magnus Classics, the Zwickies, the the Grizzlies, um, a, a lot of those, those blades that are, uh, basically it's two pieces brazed together. Um, right. You know, I've shot those a, a long time. Um, I will say that I've never had one fail, but I've had some come close. And and I'll elaborate that a little bit because it does lead in. I want to lead into some of the things that you and I have talked about um, of why I actually bought a, a pack of the, the heads and, and won't hunt with them some this year. Um, with the, the Magnus heads, which I've probably shot longer than anything, um, with the original, uh, you know, Magnus ones, I would actually file that point. So that it was almost a squared tip because you couldn't really do yeah. a tanto tanto tip on a, a double bevel, but, um, create a flat tip and I've never had one roll. Um, yep. A couple of years ago, um, I got to know uh, Biscuit Smith really well. He was making, you know, the Magnus heads, the uh, Woodsman's, the Snuffers, the Stoss heads, and a bunch of others. He stopped now, but um, I actually had him make some single bevel Magnus ones, the, the the 160, the really wide head in a single bevel for me to sell on Simply Traditional. Um, okay. And I hunted with those for several years. Now those, I did have to make the Tanto tip on them because if you didn't, um, there were just, well, there were several problems with them, but mainly that head wasn't designed for a single bevel grind and you, it really weakened the point. Now yeah. I've had it fail, meaning I've had the, the, the point of one of those two halves roll back and break off, but I've never had it, um, limit, um, penetration so much it pretty much will will fold back and break in there the broad head just keeps on going um but that's still a failure which really irritates me um some of the other heads that i've used the three to one ratio heads i like but again i've had those not so much roll but i've actually had the head bend enough that when you look at it you can see there's a bow in that head which again Mm -hmm. is going to limit performance yeah so um that's when you and I started talking on Facebook again. I guess it was probably about a year ago. And again, I don't even know if you remember the conversation, Jarrett. But um, I did ask about the the glue on, and we talked back and forth, traded a few message of messages about the reason I got away from a screw in head was because I viewed the the threaded part of that head as being the weakest link. Um, yep. I do remember that. Now here's what I can tell you. I've looked at since then. And we talked about this a little bit more while we were up in Compton's is. So if I go out and buy a glue on head, 
doesn't matter, snuffer, whatever, pick one. And I mount that to a 100 grain steel threaded adapter. The steel in that threaded adapter, for all intents and purposes, is junk. Um, and that's where I've had them fail. I've had those break. They're a little bit better than an aluminum version, but they're, they're not, it's definitely not a high carbon steel. So what I would ask you is validate for me what I think to be correct. The, your heads, the, the hardness, the carbon steel in those heads, it's the same from one end of that head to the other, correct? It is. And I like the way that you paraphrase that. I'm going to use that when I talk to my wife. Validate with for me what I know is correct. <laughs> no, I, like I said what I That's think a, is correct. Good, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use it the other way. But yeah, the, the high-grade carbon steel, is, it's the same from you know the entire um, length of that head, including the threaded insert is made of that same high-grade carbon steel. The entire thing is heat treated to the 55 to 57 Rockwell. So you're getting that same durability, um, you know, throughout the entire length of that head, you know, and I'd also say too, you know, in addition to a weak point being that adapter, anytime you've got to add glue to something to mount it, that's it. That's what I had all had also found. Cause I've had done that with some grizzlies and some other heads to shoot out of carbon or you know, I was shooting some FMJs a couple years back and did just that. Took some glue ons, bought the adapters. So what I found was if I, especially if I was shooting a really aggressive helical and shooting them into stuff that was solid, that glue on the insert could also be a potential failure point. So it wasn't durable enough to hold up to the torque of that broadhead. Um, so that was another failure point that I found in that kind of that additional junction point of trying to mount the glue onto the adapter. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I would. I, I'm not going to dispute you. Um, <laughs> um, I would say I'm still going to continue pestering you for potentially coming out with a glue-on model, but, but you don't have to. We're we're bringing out a 160 grain glue-on that's the same blade shape and blade profile as our 200 grain for next hunting season, dude. You okay, rock. now, uh, now you, now, <laughs> yeah, now, now you, you guys, you got to do between you and and the guys from. Uh, from Selway, and uh, I just had enough. I was like, "Fine." So, how much? How much do we got to pester you to get a three hundred? <laughs> yeah, you and the one fifty guys. I'll take. I'll make a three hundred, and then I'll cut them in half, uh, and then we can people can order those. So, so, so that you just made my day, Jared. That was the price of admission. Uh, now, oh, so two two things. One, um, I, I have witnessed the same thing. My my good friend Tom, who I know you know as well, Tom Jorgensen, yep. uh, he turned me on to something last year um, in basically it's golf club epoxy, 24-hour epoxy. Yep. Um, I can't make it fail, and I, I'll leave it at that. Um, that's good to know because I'm experimenting with a bunch of different 24-hour epoxies right now because that's what I really want to do this year is just even tighten that that junction up even more is get the insert in there epoxied and then epoxy the broadhead. So I've got, you know, a dozen arrows that I'm just running broadheads on this year that I want to epoxy the broadhead into the arrow just to eliminate one more variable or at least give myself the peace of mind that I've might've eliminated the variable. Yep. See, I've never done that either. And this year, Steve and Steve and Tom have got me on the, the 24 hour curing epoxy also. So I'm, yeah, I, mean, I think it's the way to go. I'm using that on the 2216s, and I think I'm even going to do it for my target arrows too, because I really like how solid it feels. And yeah. uh, and you know, especially when you get like in Michigan when it gets real cold here, um, especially late season, 
um, I'm out a lot in December and, and stuff like that. And when that starts to get brittle, that glue just kind of just comes apart. Like it, you notice it. Like, yeah, I've lost even stumping. Like I, sometimes I'll go crazy yeah. and go out and just shoot, you know, hex heads into stumps and stuff like that. And you will lose points so fast. And with that normal hot melt glue or even the, the higher, even the, the real good quality glue, the hot melt, I mean, it's still hot melt, but it, it, it all does the same thing. I've noticed like there's, yep, it's it not as good. Brittle. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah, we're actually looking at manufacturers for the epoxy and then looking at potentially manufacturers for footings and some other stuff so that we can sell more of an, an actual complete system to people. So hopefully by the time next hunting season rolls around, we've got some of that stuff worked out because I've been, I spent as much time talking broadheads now as I do talking people through building arrows and tuning arrows and FaceTiming guys to show them how to bear shaft. And so I really would like to put together a more complete system to when, you know, we're not just selling somebody a broadhead, talking to them about, you know, a lot of the content on the website really focuses more on front of center and tuning arrows than it even does our product. So I'd really like to take that one step further and have a couple of more SKUs in that online store and give somebody a, you know, start to finish. Here's how you build an optimal hunt arrow. Oh, well, that's super cool. And definitely keep me informed on that. Um, I want to hear how it's coming along. And I will tell you that, uh, in fact, I've got a video of it somewhere. I think I threw it on, on Facebook at one point, but, um, I actually took the the arrow setup that I was using back in March on a hog hunt um, with the 24-hour epoxy. Total arrow weight was 900 grains, uh, 480 grains up front, I think. And it took four shots into a uh, concrete wall or concrete solid concrete block from a 75-pound longbow. It finally snapped the arrow behind the footing. But the, <laughs> the, the, the adapter, the point, I mean, it rounded the point. It pretty much, you know, just rounded, yeah. cool, but it, nothing, nothing from the back of the footing to the front of the arrow, other than the point being rounded a little bit was damaged. It was still straight. It, nothing came, uh, you know, nothing came unglued and that was the 24 hour epoxy. Um, That's so awesome. I was, I was pretty impressed. But I do want to. I do want to go back to your. You were talking about your 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 carbon steel and the heat treating and so forth. Because yep. there's a key point there that you said you're not building the head and then heat treating the edge so it'll take and hold an edge. You're heat treating the entire head, so it's it's hard from from one end to the other. I think that's a very key point that people need to understand because there are a lot of the you know there are, there are heads out there that only the edge is tempered. Yep. No, the whole head is, and it's become kind of a game with the like guys that have bought heads and you can see it in some of our Instagram content. Now it's became kind of a, like, can I break it? It's <laughs> so got guys shooting it into cinder block shooting. It. I had a guy, you know, shot his own RV by accident the other day. I posted that up. Like, cool. He shot it through. He shot through two broader targets. He had two broader targets set up on a picnic table at camp. Right, and he was out scouting. He's like, oh, "I got two broadhead targets. That's good enough." Shot one. It caught it by the fletching. I don't know why he shot the second one. <laughs> he shot the second one. Went straight through that target, full penetration on the side of his RV. So I was going to ask you. So, what is the weirdest thing that you shot with that? Or you and your buddies? Hold my beer moment. Weirdest thing you shot. <laughs> I don't. I don't drink and then shoot bows <laughs> That's just the phrase, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh man. 
let's see. I don't know if it's really weird. I got some really strange looks and some kind of like, what is this dude doing? So I went to um, a meat processing place out in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, because it's the only one that I could get to sell me elk or not elk, uh, cow scapula. So, you know, so I bought bags full and loaded down my trailer full of fresh cow scapulas and then bought hides and some leftover like meat and other stuff from those guys. <laughs> and then, and then I'm in the neighbor in my neighborhood in Arizona in Phoenix and I'm lugging these giant bags of carcass essentially into my backyard in my, and you know, we're, you know, there's mountain lions and all kinds of stuff out. And my neighbors are looking at me like who in the hell moved in next door to us. That is funny. So, yeah. So I loaded and I got the whole backyard and I've got my deer target out there and I'm strapping with, you know, I've got the ratchet straps and I'm strapping this cow scapula to the side of this broadhead target and then i'm putting meat in between it wrapping the hide around the thing and I've, i can see my neighbors looking out the window like oh my gosh what is this guy doing and so i spent you know good part of a day shooting into that then i'm up there with a piece of plywood then i got cinder block out there just shooting all kinds of different broadheads i won't say on here how many much money i blew buying broadheads just to blow them up when we were testing them because my wife might listen to this but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so I, there i don't know if there is something i didn't shoot it through that was weird or at least looked weird to the people watching me do well, it and the, and the reason why i i asked you that is because is before before i ever got into any of this uh you know this stuff uh i was talking to a to our buddy tom one day and i was like we were coming up with these uh with with these competitions and uh at the GLLI and, and Tom, and I was asking Tom about, you know, what would he, what would he do for a competition? And he goes, well, you know, what I'm, what I, what I always wanted to do is a penetration test. Well, we'll start, we'll start with, you know, your basic, your plywood. Yeah. And then you move up and you put maybe some sheet metal over the plywood. Yeah. And, you know, and then after that, until we get to a cinder, and he goes, then we go to the cinder black and then he goes, and then, and then we go to the engine block of a, of a car. <laughs> I like it. I like <laughs> he, goes, heads at. he said his secretly his dream was always to put to make an arrow that could go through the engine block of a car. That's and awesome. that's when I looked at him yeah. and I was like, I don't think so, Tom. Uh, I had a guy last year <laughs> that that bought some heads from us and he he killed six animals with the same broadhead, the same 125 gram broadhead. Then he took the the some bones from the elk that he killed and he shot it through scapula through the femur shot it through some plywood shot it through a two by four same broadhead then shot the same broadhead into a cinder block twice and he could still use it wow wow so i mean he he was trying to destroy it he's like it's a little bit i mean it was all chewed up on the end obviously after shooting it into a cinder block but it was still straight and he was blown away he's like i don't know man you know you gotta you gotta have fun with it and that's what i always like some people just don't realize, like, why, why are you messing with all that stuff? It's fun. I mean, it is fun. Until, <laughs> until, until you shoot through your chair and into your wall like Tom did. Oh, did I just say that? Tom, I, That's funny. I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother, Tom. But yeah, Tom Tom put one through a chair in his in his house into the wall. <laughs> okay, so I'm not gonna say anything because I've got I've got one better. <laughs> so I'm shooting, we're living in Colorado at the time. We we're living in a subdivision, and I'm in the middle of the road shooting into the garage, and I've got my target set up in the garage with a backstop. And behind the wall that I'm shooting into, I wasn't even thinking, is the little bathroom that's right offside the garage. <laughs> 
So I sip one, it goes through the target and through the wall, and my wife is sitting on the toilet. Oh, no. (laughs) And the arrow stops inches from my wife sitting on the toilet. And I'm out in the, I didn't even know it through. I'm out there with my bow, and she comes sprinting out of, what the hell are you doing? You almost killed me. I'm like, what is going on? And yeah, and it was it was a house we were renting too, so <laughs> right through the drywall <laughs> into the bathroom. Wrap it up, yeah. I'll take it. I bet, <laughs> yeah, uh, I bet you. Yep. I bet you don't shoot into the garage anymore, do you? I I, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't do that. That was one of the. That was one of the my knucklehead moments. I'm like, wow, I really have not evolved very far, have I? That was pretty stupid. So, uh, Jared, so I got to ask you, like, what is the? Uh, they look cool, obviously. So why'd you go with? Why'd you go with the red? Honestly, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with just how saturated the marketplace is. You know, it's it's hard to stand out. And most of the broadheads are black, um, especially the single bevels. For a while, their VPA was making some that had the red Teflon or the green Teflon. But it's hard to find a Teflon manufacturer that will do the red Teflon coating. You know, and our logo was red. And I really liked that color broadhead. And I felt like, especially in the digital age that we're in now with as important as social media advertising and Instagram and all that content is, I felt like that would give our broadhead a chance to stand out. Um, so, you know, somebody posts a picture or you see us on Instagram, if you see a red one piece broadhead, chances are it's ours. And so I just felt like that was going to make that, that mental connection with potential customers far more um, quickly with that red broadhead because I just felt like it was a point of differentiation. So we, we have to do a lot of extra work and consistency from batch to batch. And I mean, I spent time on the phone today with our, our manufacturer on that. It's just, it's more of a challenge uh, to do the red Teflon, but we feel like it's a, a point of differentiation helps our heads stand out. Awesome. That's what I kind of figured. And it is, it's unmistakable. Um, so I yeah. thought that was really, I, I wanted to know if that, I always thought that was a pretty, pretty brilliant move on your part, but I wanted to. Know. It's, it's, and I didn't really know if it was working or not until Ryan Callahan from First Light killed an access buck, I don't know, a couple months ago down in Texas hunting with the guys from Yeti. And he, the guys from Hushin were with them and they put the video out in literally two minutes of the video while we're waiting for, for Cal to take the shot is him in the blind. And he's just going back and forth in front of the camera with his bow and all you can see on the end of the bow is this bright red broadhead back and forth. I'm like, man, I hope he never shoots. You just go back and forth. And then he finally takes a shot and kills the axis deer. And that probably generated a couple dozen orders. Yeah, I can watch his Instagram feed. What's that red broadhead? What's that red broadhead? What's that red broadhead you're shooting? I'm like, ah, it worked. Well, they, <laughs> they, are, they are very sharp looking on the end of a shaft. I can tell you that. They, yeah. they look really yeah. cool. Yeah, they do. Well, Jarrett, I tell you what, this is a, a really good spot to uh take a a brief pause with you and and jump into our passing down tradition mid-roll and then we'll get right back to it okay sounds good okay today on passing down traditions i'm live at the great lakes longbow imitational with president john Bushine of the michigan longbow association how you doing john pretty good yeah, and we got a. Uh, it looks like we're going to have a great event. We've got uh, quite a few people here already, and it's it's only Thursday, and the event doesn't even start until tomorrow, and uh, we're already having a lot of fun, aren't we, John? Oh, you, you bet, you bet. So, John, what is the uh, what is the Michigan Longbow Association all about for people who might not know? 
Well, the Michigan Longbow Association was established in 1983 by Ron LeClaire, um, and it was uh, in interest of preserving and passing on the tradition of the longbow and its use in archery and traditional archery. Um, and and it's been around for this is the 35th year this year for the Longbow Association, and uh, we're we're still pushing that. And what we found is that. Um, part of part of preserving that tradition is uh, trying to keep uh, the next generation involved in using the longbow in traditional archery. Yep, and a uh, a mutual friend of ours and secretary of the MLA, Floyd Wells, has a saying. He always says, "We're one generation away from extinction." You, you took the words out of my mouth. Yep, and <laughs> I've always that's always stuck with me. And and. Um, as a former president, one of the first things that was one of the first things that he said to me, and I, I've always believed it. And and uh, part of what keeps that alive is our, our youth program, which has really grown over the last four or five years. And uh, John, how many youth events do we have now that the MLA does? Uh, right around, I'm going to say, if we include what we do at the uh, traditional bow hunters expo. About three to four a year um, on, on the official end of it. Uh, we, we have a um, youth program that runs during the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational that uh, Floyd Wells directs. Um, and he it's a three-day program that he runs on the mornings for the kids. Uh, in the springtime, we do one at uh, one of our members as a teacher at uh, Kellogg, West Kelloggsville elementary school and uh we go there on a friday in about the end of april um and we spend a day with uh two different grades of kids um usually about two to three hundred kids uh through the course of the day and we we have different stations where we do um teaching about the longbow teaching about cresting uh arrow making uh the different kinds of uh traditional bows and of course they get to shoot um and then we have uh two days here at uh charlton park at the site of the great lake great lakes longbow invitational um uh, one is a, a day that the park does for free for the uh residents in the area um and we we run a booth there it's a it's a little more condensed. It's more or less just shooting and getting uh, longbows into the hands of kids and even their parents. Um, and then uh, in September we also do one that is uh, it's it's very youth driven. It's it's the uh, Berry County Youth Jamboree, um, and that coincides, of course, with the Hudson Lake Youth Jamboree at uh, another site the same weekend um, where we'll have upwards of a thousand kids running through our booth and and we're pretty much just getting a bow in their hands and and letting them get about uh, five or six arrows off and um, we have many repeat customers not, we not just not just during the day but uh, year to year mm-hmm and yeah and uh, yeah I feel like pretty much every single one of these that we do we see about you know, 800 to 1,000 kids. We set up at the Kalamazoo Expo, too, right? That's and correct. That's correct. We um, have quite a few people there, and a lot of them are repeat offenders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are, are member kids, but we, we also get a lot of uh, people in town because, uh, you know, Jerry and Bob have done an awesome thing with that 
with that expo, and uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to be there and um, and help out with that. But uh, yeah, it's we get a lot of kids from all over that trek with their parents in the middle of winter to we give them a place for the kids to shoot for free and um, and we even some adults that might be thinking about trying traditional and uh, and uh, letting them shoot at the booth without without fear of uh, of needing some assistance maybe with with form or with a finding out that a bow might be too heavy for them or 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 whatnot yeah and uh so one of the things that that we do is we we pop a lot of balloons don't we oh yeah yeah like probably what they 800 to a thousand balloons on some of our bigger events i think the last actually the last uh kids day i think i bought uh, fifteen or sixteen hundred balloons, and I think I only brought four hundred back. <laughs> and we used to, we used to blow those up just with just with our mouths in the beginning, and and we had to get some blowers here in the last couple of years and actually do that. But uh, so I know the answer to this. I'm going to ask you. So why balloons? Why do we do balloons? Instantaneous gratification, yeah. <laughs> and it is too. And it's and it's hard for adults to stay away from that too. I know it's I. I have to fight the urge to want to join the kids on the line. Yep. Fair, fairground, uh, old school, throw darts in the balloons kind of a kind of thing. It's the same deal. Um, and we've got a very regimented way we do it. I, you know, that's a, I, I always thought, you know, if we, if we patented that and sold it to organizations, we'd make a lot of money because we've really ironed it out over the years. And, and Floyd's been a big part of that too. I can't, I can't say enough about what he's, helped us do with our youth program i mean um and it's and he, you know he's the reason why i joined compton's as well is that the organizations both believe in the same thing and uh and if you see what he's what he's done with um the the programs there it's 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 not just educationally driven but it's fun driven there's 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 a weird science to it and it's it's really fun to be a part of yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, that cross-organization uh, cross kind of thing. Like, a lot of MLA people help out at the Compton event. Um, and really what it's about is just, it, it's not about organizations. It's about keeping archery alive and keeping traditional archery alive and, and the hunting style of archery alive. And, and it really... Uh, it doesn't. It's it's really cross boundary. I guess is the good way to put it. It's it is it is, and it's uh, like you said, we're we're a generation away from non-existence. Um, it's, that's all it takes is is one one generation of kids to decide they no longer feel the want or desire to enjoy this type of archery, and you know we're and we're lost. Now, do people tend to join the the organization right away, John, or is this a kind of a gradual thing? It it depends on the personality of the person. Um, we we get some people that jump right in when they when they come out and visit us at our booths and uh, see what we're doing, see what we're doing with the kids, um, and they start to meet some of the other members. Uh, uh, a lot of people will join right up right away. Some people will kind of kick the tires around a little bit, um, and and then you know we've got a lot of benefits of being a member, um, like with our spring shoot and um, 
the the discounts you get for shooting and stuff like that at, at the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational. You don't have to be a member in order to attend that. Um, we we encourage it, but you, it's not not necessary. But uh, it, once you get that family feeling, though, being a member of an organization like like the MLA, it's uh, pretty hard to resist. Not you know to resist being a member and tell them how much it costs to join the mla for the family john well it's it's twenty dollars for the year and what that does is that gets you um a our, our quarter note magazine um it's it's as good as any newsstand magazine out there and of course i'm biased but um it's pretty good and it's member and it's membership driven it's a hundred percent membership uh content and you get four of those a year um, we have the spring shoot and membership meeting, which is completely free to members. We have that, and that's held at uh, Land O'Lakes uh, uh, Archery up in Fenton, Michigan. Um, that's a three-day shoot that uh, we pretty much have a run of the place for those three days, and uh, really appreciate them letting us do that there. And it's like I said, it's free to members, um, and. You get, uh, I can't remember what the percentage is, discount on merchandise and shooting fees, but... Um, it's close to 20. It's, it's about 20%, I guess. About 20%. So you get all that for $20 for the family. $20 for the family um, per until, year. Until the kids are 16, right? Or 18? 18. 18. 18. 18. 18. So, and, and I mean, they, they've always, it's kind of always been that way, and the cost has been kept low to get people to... To want to join that's our biggest thing is it's you know it's this has definitely become a very family-based setup um family friendly uh we want to make sure that um you know that most families can go out there and enjoy a weekend of archery uh, especially here at the longbow invitational um and and not end up breaking the bank to do it um and it's and we're fortunate with the facilities that we have available to us that we're able to um, push those savings towards our members for um, not having to spend that much money on a weekend of archery. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the free shoot, you know, people take that for granted, our spring shoot and, and membership meeting. I mean, most, I mean, that's worth, I mean, a free shoot. I mean, you, you sometimes you pay. I mean, you're looking at, you're saving $50 in camping fees and mm-hmm. then your shooting fees for a weekend. 20 to 40 or even $50 for the weekend. And there's a potluck Saturday and there's a chili cook off Friday. That's correct. So there's, there's a, a lot, a, you get a lot for your money. And the thing is, is we don't even have, you don't even have to be in Michigan to be in the Michigan Longbow Association. We got members from I mean, everywhere, right? We are in five different countries and we're all over the United States. Yep. And we've even, in fact, for this event, we've got, uh, we've got a couple of Warbow guys from, uh, from England, yep, over here, don't we? Uh, this year at the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational, we were able to get uh, a group of guys named uh, Now Strike Archery over here, and they're going to be demonstrating um, the use of the English Warbow and the English Longbow, of course, um, doing uh, some distance shooting and some different accuracy challenges. Um, look, pretty looking forward to that tomorrow that'll be that'll be pretty exciting kind of the education part of our 501c3 and uh and they uh and the kids really the kids are really gonna i think they're really gonna eat that oh yeah we've we've got those guys they're gonna be busy all weekend they've um we've got a um their youth event their uh floyd's gonna be having those guys do some educational stuff on saturday morning 
Um, tomorrow afternoon they're doing demonstrations, and I'm sure they're going to have uh, loads of people asking to to uh, air out a 120-pound English longbow at, <laughs> at, at 200 yards. Plus, we got the Youth Silver Arrow on Saturday. Yep, um, got the, I'm working that, and and the the winner of that for each division wins a bow. That's correct. Um, we're uh, we have some really great uh, Boyer members. Um, Bob Brum of Great Northern, uh, Dave and Tracy with uh, St. Joe River Bows, and I think Tom Moran. Tom Moran. Tom Moran of River Raisin. He's um, those all three levels. Uh, they all are doing a uh, donated bow for the uh, winner of each uh, age group. So that's and, and, that's pretty cool. And it costs the kids nothing to get into this event. That's correct. That's and correct. We, we had like, and I think last year we had like 84 shooters or something like that. That sounds about right. It was pushing 90. It was about 30 a group. Yep, and that's growing quite a bit. Um, I mean, obviously a free bow will do that, but it's more than that. They really get a kick out of it. Um, yep. They just like to compete, and we'll run them through some fun stuff. Uh, but, yeah, just a fantastic organization. Uh you, you really can't pass the tradition down any better than that. I mean, once you once you plant the seed, uh, and kid might not come right away, but later in life when they're when they're married or they have a family of their own and they'll remember the bow and and hopefully they come back to us. Exactly. And um, if you want to, uh, if you are interested in checking out the MLA or even joining, you get the magazine anyway. If you can't make the events, but hey, we got guys coming over from England and sometimes you know Steve's come here from Georgia and visited and. And he wants to make this event, I know, but he's been around. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, the website's www.michiganlongbow.org. And uh, you can join right on the website. Um, and it's 20 bucks, And you can find out kind of what we're all about. Um, you got anything else you want to add, John? No, nope, it's just a, if you're not here, you're missing a great time. Um, there's going to be so many things happening this weekend. I... I probably won't get to shoot much at all, but uh, it'll be well worth it. It's uh, this is a this is a great weekend. Aside from being a part of a great club, this is a really great weekend. This is the pretty much the largest longbow only uh, archery event I think in the nation. Right I think now. it is. I think it is. It's definitely the longest running event in the nation. Yep. This is our thirty fourth year. Next year is going to be bigger. We're going to four days, and it's the thirty fifth Great Lakes Longbow Invitational. So it, it's. It's going to be really big next year. Yep. So if you're in Michigan or the Midwest, we encourage you to check it out. And, uh, oh, thanks for sitting down with us today, John. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, follow back up with you in the future and find out how everything's going. Right on. Appreciate it. All right. Take it easy. So, Jared, if you would, um, you know, we still got several different things we kind of want to cover with you here. But, you know, kind of as we as we wrap up, you know, talking about the the bone broadhead design and so forth you know give us a little bit of uh insight on what the what the feedback has been that you've gotten from from people out in the field using your product yeah it's 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 been outstanding we've got a ton of great feedback from people um you know it's it's great to see a lot of the content that's being generated you know we had done a bunch of testing we talked about some of it earlier and we had taken some of our own video but i was really leery and hesitant to put it out on our website by trade i'm a sales and, and marketing guy that's what i do for a living and you know 
authenticity is is key when you're trying to build a brand and i just felt like us putting our own content out there and kind of beating our own chest about look how great our product is see how well it works i think people kind of sniff through that pretty quick Mm -hmm. and would would probably be more apt to oh yeah of course you're gonna say that your product's not like you're gonna put a bunch of video content out there showing how poorly your broadhead performs right so we intentionally left it to the customer to do the testing and the customer to give us feedback and so that we could incorporate that into you know into the design and how we talked about our broadheads and so you know, a lot of the feedback that we've gotten is kind of what we talked about earlier guys trying to break it because like geez these things fly great my groupings are fantastic um and then they they move into the durability testing and they you know they start out like well i usually shoot into this target and my broadhead target's not stopping your broadhead so i got a second target and sometimes that's not stopping the broadhead or i'm tearing fletchings off because the broadhead's penetrating all the way into the fletching of the second target so that was a lot of the feedback earlier i can't believe how well they fly and I can't believe how well they penetrate. And then it's kind of progressed into all of the the videos that guys have been sending in now of really them just trying to see if they can break the head. It's become kind of a game. So the feedback's been outstanding, particularly on the flight characteristics and the durability. And I know this isn't really your audience, but the compound shooters in particular on, on the heads have been blown away by how well they shoot. So we have some guys shooting them out of Hooter shooters at 80 yards and getting sub two inch groups. They're out shooting, you know, mechanical heads and any of the other fixed blade heads that are out there. Um, the only warranty claims that we've had so far, are two guys that shot their own broadhead with another broadhead. So they chipped off the back of the broadhead that they shot <laughs> with the other broadhead. What, what's, that, what, what's that old saying about a um, uh, unstoppable force meeting an immovable object? Something's got to give, right? <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, we'll do it once, but just uh, maybe words of wisdom. Don't shoot groups with your broadheads. That's, shoot spots. Yeah, that's 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 all very cool. Um, so I, I, I'm going I'm to use this time to tell you a little bit about my experience. Um, so after, you know, we spent a lot of time talking again up at uh, Michigan, and, and I was kind of thinking about it as, you know, I had a little bit of time to think on my 12-hour drive home. And I decided I wanted to I wanted to try a pack of these things out, um, if for no other reason, just because I, you're you're just such a you're such a nice guy, Jared. I just felt like I, <laughs> I had to support you. So I come back and um, I think we 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 were talking about something. We may have been talking about setting up the first time we tried to set up a, a schedule to record with you, and. Yeah. Um, I, I, I told you I was going to order a pack of them. You said, no, let me just send you a pack. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I want to support you and I'd rather buy them. So, uh, I went ahead and ordered a pack of, of three of the 200 grain. Um, the same day I was trying to figure out how I was going to, I wanted to keep, you know, a pretty, uh, close setup to what I was already shooting, but I was buying these for, from a different bow, a, a, a 60, I want to say it's 57 at 28, I think it's the bow that I, I wanted to set these up for. Anyway, um, I reached out to another guy that I knew on Facebook, and I can't remember his name right now, so I hope he doesn't take offense, but it was um, uh, Ethics Archery, and I ordered some 300-grain uh, threaded uh, stainless steel inserts for uh, Black Eagle shafts. Okay. Um, I got those in, and I got the, the three heads in pretty much the same day. Um 
footed the shafts, and it was funny how it worked out. 2117s with just a little bit of work actually fit perfectly on the, the head of that uh, ethics archery insert and then slip down onto the um, – so you've got the, the insert in the arrow, the footing on the outside of the arrow, and the footing goes up onto the edge of the, of the insert. So very, very solid. Um, screwed in a 200 grain point, went out, started tuning, got the arrow tuned up, you know, cutting from the back on a bear shaft, felt really good about what I had, fletched it up, sent it down range, everything was good. So I came in, built a couple more of them, and I couldn't stand it. So I picked up, um, the fletched, the original fletched there I'd been working with and then picked up one of the ones that I just built bare shaft, screwed in that 200 grain point and went out and then, again, this is stick bows. This is a compounds. And by the way, we have no, nothing against the, the compound guys. In fact, we, I've got a couple that are probably going to be on the show in a couple of weeks that we're going to do some Q and a back and forth about, you know, uh, they're wanting to transition to traditional and they just want to basically get on here and stump me and Nick and ask questions. So, uh, I I keep telling these compound guys, you know, if who, who do you want to listen to successful guys that consistently shoot animals with compounds at 60 yards or the guys that shoot them at 12 and under. So (laughs) (laughs) you might want to listen to us, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so I sent that uh, I sent that fletched arrow downrange at thirty yards, and uh, I've got a, a circle on my target that's about I don't know five inches, and it went right into that circle. So then I picked up the and I uh, picked up the the bear shaft with the bone broadhead, and I let fly, and it impacted within two inches of the first arrow at thirty yards, which was as much of a fluke as my shooting ability as anything else, but. <laughs> I went back and pulled it, and I tried it again, and pretty much repeated it multiple times. I mean, I think the furthest shot at 30 yards might have been two and a half inches from the fletched arrow, and I was just blown away. Um, awesome. They definitely – now, again, the arrow was tuned. I did my homework in getting yeah. the tuning right, but they fly really good. They really do. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, – I mean, you hit the nail on the head. If you got the tune – you could use a lot of broadheads up front and and get great flight characteristics but i think you know that lack of of venting the solid one piece there's there's just not a lot there that can go wrong or anything there that's going to really impact your arrow flight other than yourself you know very true and you know i'm I, i i i do know i'm shooting you know even on that setup it's with the footing i think it's uh and I said 300 grains. They're 200 grain inserts, not 300 grain. The ethics archery inserts, but okay. it's you know 430 grains up front, and that helps straighten an arrow out a lot. But <laughs> yeah. but they just yeah, they sure fly does. really good. They fly really That's awesome. Good. Okay, Jarrett. You know, switching gears a little bit. Um, when I uh, I actually got to meet you at Compton's and talk to you, and I, I met a lot of a BHA people at Compton's. And uh, you were hanging out with a lot of BHA people, and you were you were telling me that you were actually pretty involved with them, or have been over the years. Um, I wonder if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm a, a life member of BHA, and I worked on staff as a contractor for I don't know 18 months, two years, whatever it was. Um, I'm a huge believer in the organization. I'd done a lot of a lot of other conservation work with with other you know animal groups, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation being the biggest one, um, and as as the things started to become more and more politicized, 
you know, the public lands thing started to be one of the topics that a lot of the animal organizations wanted to steer clear of, um, you know, for funding reasons, uh, sponsorship reasons, etc. And about that time, I came across the ad that Greg Munther runs every month or every issue in traditional bow hunter magazine. I thought, you know, that organization looks pretty interesting to me. Started to do a little bit of research. Um, that first year I really wanted to go to the, they were doing their first annual rendezvous in Missoula, Montana. And at the time I was working for Big Sky Brewing Company, which is based out of Missoula. I couldn't make it to the rendezvous, but we donated all the beer to it. And Steve Rinella happened to be the keynote speaker that year. And he was still, hadn't even done Meat Eater yet. So this was a while back. He was doing The Wild Within and his first TV show. And Got some feedback from that rendezvous. I was like, man, I really like this organization. It's really tiny and small, but I like the people there. And then the next year they had the rendezvous in Colorado and I was able to make it. And so again, we donated the beer and I went down and I hung out with with Lantani and a bunch of the folks that were in on the ground floor of getting BHA really up and running and turning it into the you know growing, thriving, young kind of organization that it is right now. And I just felt at home with those people. You know, sometimes you meet a group of folks. It's, I feel the same way about all the guys at Compton. I love going there every year because you just, you know, this is my tribe. I like these people. I, I feel comfortable. We share the same type of, you know, kind of ethic. We're into the same things. Um, and so I really started to buy into BHA and what they stood for. And I decided at that point, well, if I'm going to give my time and energy and, and money to an organization, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do it with BHA. And so a couple years went by, um, you know, continued to be a member, not as active, and then had the opportunity to go work with them in the Southwest, kind of helping do some chapter coordination stuff and bring in some corporate partnership dollars and build some strategic partnerships. And, you know, grew to love the organization even more through that time of just working with the staff and seeing how hard they work and how thoughtful and intelligent the folks are and the kind of leader that Lantani is. And, you know, and so when we started broadheads i thought you know it's one thing i liked about a lot of the organizations that supported bha and if you look at my if i did a bag dump right now you'd be hard pressed to find much in my bag or in my equipment list that isn't manufactured by a corporate partner backcountry hunters and anglers i want to really support the organizations that give back and put their money where their mouth is and are invested in making sure that we protect this you know the the public land legacy that you know that's been protected prior to us so when we got the organization up and around i thought hey hey, i'm gonna make sure that we do something philanthropic and we give back so from the very beginning you know we did the minimum of of two percent back to bha and then just recently here we've started to transition all of our our product donation codes to uh 10 as opposed to the consumer getting the 10 discount now we're giving 10 of that purchase, if they use that product code, we're giving it to backcountry hunters and anglers. It's just a way for us, you know, to give a little bit of money back. And then I'm still really involved. I'm the chapter chairperson for the New Mexico chapter. We've got a ton of cool projects that we're working on and we're getting a lot of good stuff done here. So it's just, it's something that I believe in, especially even more now. So as a father with two young kids, it's, you know, important that we leave it as good or better than the generation before us handed it over to us and right now with you know everything that's happening politically etc it's it's a challenging time and a really important time for people to be engaged and to step up and make sure that we're we're paying attention to what's going on or we could have it pulled out from underneath us pretty quick yeah definitely kids will really make you think a lot about that too and what you what you're what you're you're doing with them and I, i think about that all the time you know i've had 
public land around me all my life and, and, you know, grew up on it. And when I started hunting, I've been hunting on pretty much, you know, 90% public land, uh, here in Michigan. Um, and when I go hunt with Steve, I'm on pretty much public land there and, you know, it's, it's, it's so important, but that's cool that you're raising awareness and, and have been able to, you know, create a business that's been able to give back to an organization that you love too and all the people that are in it. So I, that's, that's really neat. Yeah, I had the opposite experience growing up in Indiana. We had, I think, less than 2% of Indiana's publicly accessible land. So I grew up hunting exclusively private. I really didn't understand the whole public lands piece at all. I didn't hunt public land until I was 30 years old. Same here. Um, you know, and so it was, for me, the real aha moment was when I moved out west finally and saw what we had and, and really came to the realization through BHA that, wow, I, I hold deed and title to this that just like every other citizen of the United States, this is mine, this is ours. And whole oh, what, what a, what a cool thing, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing like this anywhere else in the world. You know, what a blessing that I was happened to be born here and I have access to all this and I could just go pack up my pack and roam as far as I can walk. And then I'd go back home and, you know, most of the property that I had to hunt as a kid, it wasn't as challenging. You could, you know, help out a farmer and give a little bit of meat or help him out in the summer and get access to a piece of property to hunt. And we had access to thousands of acres when I was a kid to hunt. I don't know that any of that's left now. I go home and it's subdivisions and gas stations and grocery stores and you can just watch that stuff disappear. And it really just kind of hit me like, we got to protect this. And if I don't do my part or I don't step up and do it, kind of excuse am I going to give my kids yeah exactly and I'd be be pretty much SOL I mean when I first started shooting I had nowhere I didn't have anywhere to go I mean when I came to Grand Rapids you know I spent my first week in the woods in the very beginning up up north you know in Sheboygan where I where I grew up and there was plenty of land there but when I got down here I didn't know of any land or anything, or I didn't know any people, anybody that had land and any farms you see around here have three or four deer blinds around them anyway. So there's, there's yeah. no way you're going to get permission to hunt there unless you really know somebody that knows somebody. So, yeah. you know, I've always been thankful. And, and when we moved over here to Rockford, um, there's just, you know, between, I, you know, I never really realized how good I had it until I actually, I, I started fishing, you know, because I can walk, I mean, there's a river, all, there's water all over. There's public access all over. I mean, I can I can be with with on public access within five minutes, and I'm blessed that way. So that's that's really cool that you've been able to do that. So you know, you were talking about hunting. Do you have any big hunt, uh, plans to to hunt in the fall? Well, definitely want to get into that, Nick. But before we move on, um, so Jarrett, I'm gonna let you know now that, um, and I'm not sure if you've listened to many of the mid roll segments that we're doing, but. Uh, by telling me everything that you're doing actively with BHA, you just volunteered. If you've ever got, um, if you've ever got a, an, a, an issue or a public awareness thing that you'd, you'd like to get the word out about something that's happening in your area, um, please reach out to me and, and let me know. And we'll bring you in on the, the mid roll segment to, to raise awareness for it. So I've, I've done those with a lot of, uh, different BHA members and I'd love to have, okay. I'd love to have you in that network. So if it's something going on in, in New Mexico, I'd love to, I'd love to bring you in. I would love to do that. We are, we are working diligently right now during this next election cycle to try to raise awareness for stream access. We have, 
as of a couple of years ago um, with a piece of legislation that was rushed through um, some of the worst stream access uh, laws right now. And so we're, we're working really hard to advocate, raise public awareness. And then once we kind of see how this administration, what it looks like after this next election cycle, we're going to have a lot of work to do to try to get that law changed to something that's um, more in line with, you know, public access to public waterways because right now it's not well let's uh let you and i chat for just a few minutes after we after we wrap this up and uh we'll we'll talk about when we can get that on the schedule sorry about that nick go go ahead with your question i apologize (laughs) that's all right man that's important stuff you're talking about there (laughs) uh so do you have any plans to uh big plans to hunt this fall jared do you got any trips coming up or anything I got all kinds of tags this fall. Awesome! So it's gonna Let's be, hear about yeah, them. It's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. My my favorite one, the one I'm looking forward to the most, is my daughter's cow elk hunt in Arizona. So she started big game hunting last year. She's not bow hunting yet. She's pretty slightly built, um, but she started rifle hunting last year. And we did a a backpack hunt in southern Arizona for cows, whitetail deer, and she she shot a little spike buck on her second to last day of the hunt and now she's got the bug and she's into it so she's got a cow elk hunt in arizona this year in october so that's that's probably the hunt i'm looking forward to the most but i'll be going over the counter for for archery elk uh here in a couple weeks in southern colorado kind of right outside of pagosa i'll be hunting mostly in the webinuch wilderness area i've been in there a couple of times so that's coming up here and it's not too far of a drive for me so i can do some extended weekends you know three four day weekends i can get up there in about four four and a half hours from my door to the trailhead so that'll be late august september and then i've got a deer tag here in new mexico in unit 21 which is just on the east side of the gila and all the leopold wilderness area really beautiful area that tag it's kind of cool here in new mexico you get a chance to hunt them all september and then if you don't tag out in september you can go back again in january so I have that have that tag, and then I drew an ibex archery tag, which is an exotic species here in New Mexico. Pretty hard tag to draw. Really, really rugged, kind of infamous mountain range, the Florida mountains down in southern New Mexico. I have that tag in January, so I have the mountain to contend with, and probably some pretty gnarly weather um, on that hunt. And then I have a Barbary sheep tag, which is another exotic species, and that tag is in February. So wow, got. Plenty there, and then I've got a whitetail tag again in Arizona for uh, for cow's whitetail in December. And if I've got the freezer full, knock on wood, that's going to be a bow hunt too. So I was getting ready to ask you: Are you are you planning on uh, doing all these with with the bow, or are you mixing in some some gun hunting in there? What's your what's your plans there? It'll be a little bit of as much as of it as I can do. So the most of the first hunts, the you know the the elk hunt, the deer hunt, the ibex hunt, um, those are all archery tags. So those will all be archery hunts. The whitetail tag that I've got in Arizona and the Barbary sheep tag or any weapon. Um, it's a rifle tag for the for the deer down in southern Arizona. If I've already got a bunch of meat in the freezer and my daughter kills an elk in October, then I'll definitely be bowing. I've gone down there a couple of times with with my bow in southern Arizona to try to get one of those with a bow. And they're, they're not real easy to get close to. So I have not connected on a, a whitetail down there in those mountains. So I would love to take it. I'd far prefer to go bow hunting for it. Nice. Very cool, very cool. You ever, uh, you ever do any hunting uh, east of the Mississippi? So, so I hopefully knock on wood, I get back to Indiana this fall to do a little bit of whitetail hunting, and then a good buddy of mine, Brandon Butler, we went to high school together. He works for the Conservation Federation of Missouri, um, 
and he's based kind of in between Columbia and Jeff City. He's got a really cool piece of property. So if I can make it work with my schedule, I'm hoping to be able to schedule myself to be in Missouri on the road for work about the time that you know we're peaking on into the rut <laughs> so that sure. I can sneak over to his property for a couple of days with my bow and go bow hunting. And then if I can make it work with her with my schedule, I'll probably drive on from Missouri back home to Indiana. And I have still have a, a piece of property there that I'm able to hunt um, through a buddy of mine. So if I can get away around Halloween, I'll make that drive after hunting a couple of days with Brandon, drive back to Indiana, and then do a little hunting in Indiana before turning around and making a 20-hour drive back to New Mexico. Well, it, it sure sounds like you've definitely got a full plate for this year, but uh, I will just go ahead and tell you, I'll extend a, an open invitation. If, you, if you're ever going to be uh, in, the, in the area of Georgia or if you just want to come and, and give it a try, let me know. We'll figure out a way to, we'll figure out a way to schedule it. I've got uh, hundreds of thousands of acres of public land very close by it. got got you know a few little tracks of, of private too it's nothing very big but um got a you know got a good mix so pretty much any time between the first of september and the end of uh excuse me the middle of january uh we can find a place to hunt i like that i appreciate the invite i'll have to take you up on that i'd really like to go to this hog camp that you guys talk about all the time i want to check that out it it is definitely a lot of fun <laughs> they're uh so there's been some there's been some changes with that. Um, so yeah, and I don't know if you I don't know how if you've talked to Tom recently, but you you kind of know some of the backstory there. But we are yep. we are going back again this year. We finally just uh, finalized that. I guess about a week ago, I sent my deposit check in either late last week or first of this week. But so the the family has decided to let another um uh, another guide come in and kind of take over that property um but he has been nice enough to um extend to the the traditional bow hunters that were going to that property that for i i forget how many three or four hunts as long as they you know as long as they can assign a a hunt master that will guarantee a full camp then they're basically going to lock the property down uh, just for those traditional bow hunters for that for that week, um, because they are going to start doing some rifle hunting on the property now. But um, so we're at least going to get one more year in on that property, and then we're going to kind of see how it goes from there. But uh, the whole camp ambush thing, we've we've all pretty much decided it's going to continue somewhere. We you just yeah, it's just such a great group of guys, which you obviously got to hang out with all of them quite a quite a long That's time. Fun. Yeah. That's a bummer. Those transitions are always hard. I remember my I spent most of my formative years on my my aunt Dolores's property as a kid, hanging out with my dad's. Right, you know, shot a lot of my first animals and tons of fond memories. And when that thing transitioned hands and I no longer had access to this, kind of a, it's it's a hard transition to to handle, especially those first couple of years. It really is. It really is. But you know, like I said, you you know you got to hang out with those guys. I mean. Uh, you know, Rick Rick Butler's just fantastic. Tom, Derek Sheehan, and oh Doug, oh boy Doug. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> you know what? That whiskey slush, man. That whiskey slush. Man, I, I, tell you, I, I really think the world of that entire crowd. But that Doug just—he uh, he is something else, man. He's—we're <laughs> constantly giving each other grief on Facebook when he he'll show up and 
I, I'm not even going to go into some of the things he sends me, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I can imagine <laughs> he is a mess. And contrary to pro- our popular belief, there are deer in Georgia too. There are. How big are well, they? I, I, I don't know. I've never seen <laughs> one, but there are there are deer in Georgia. <laughs> I'm gonna text you some. I'll text you some photos. They are here. Sweet. You guys that are you guys that are used to hunting in these northern states where you can see for you know 500 yards. Yeah, it takes you a little while to adjust. No, I don't know. Indiana, there's no... You can see across the cornfield for 500 yards, but you're not going to see very many deer out there if it's picked, you know, unless it's after season. I grew up hunting swamp and marsh and some pretty thick, gnarly multiflora rows and some pretty gnarly stuff as a kid. Wasn't a lot of open country or far shot. I don't think I shot an animal over 40 yards with a bow or a gun until I moved out west. So I'm 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 just going to have to say, Jarrett, as far as Indiana's concerned, I've hunted it twice. Both times I killed I killed my buck the first day. So yeah, you're going to have a hard time selling me on that. It must be maybe I was just in a really good pocket of Indiana. Maybe that's what. It was. What part of Indiana were you in? <laughs> uh, uh, do you know David Hewitt? Yeah, or basically his hometown, uh, a uh, little town called Viviets in Switzerland County, right on the. Um, uh, right on the the Ohio River. Look over the look over the river into. Uh, uh, well, you were right there at Ohio and uh, Kentucky. Yep. So you're down south. That's where I went to undergrad. A lot more rolling hills. It's a completely different topography compared to like Northwest Indiana, which is closer to Compton. We got where I grew up. That area is we're maybe 45 minutes from Barron Springs, where where Compton is every year. Much when you go down to Southern Indiana, it doesn't even look like you're in the same. State. And it's it's really kind of weird. So, <laughs> a little backstory here: the the first time I went there, I was really kind of, I was expecting it to be more like a table, and I mean it was pretty yeah. pretty rolling and 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 a lot of hills. And it was a coworker that that I went with, uh, still a good friend of mine. He actually moved back to um, the Cincinnati area uh, just recently. But um, anyway, his his father. Uh, so I, I I shot the the deer that I shot nice uh, I believe it was a ten point first day I was there, and his father offered to to drive it into town to a processor at the time, and uh, my my friend kind of looked at me kind of funny was grinning and said yeah go ahead you know ride with him he'll carry you up there well what he didn't tell me his father is extremely hard of hearing. And he gets in this car or the, the truck and we, we take off and he's in these, you know, it's not really switchbacks, but it's really curvy. And the whole time he's driving, he's telling me all these hunting stories and he's pointing over here and he's pointing over there. And every time he starts pointing, he's not looking at the road. He's looking <laughs> where he's pointing and, and he's going through these curves and the tires are just squealing uh, on this on this truck. And he can't hear it because he's hard of hearing. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there trying to be polite, right? So finally, yeah. when he looks out the window, point in one of these directions, I reach and grab the seatbelt and go to throw this, lock the seatbelt on. This was many years ago. There weren't seatbelt laws, whatever. There is no seatbelt latch. <laughs> so obviously we survived. We get back and Rick, my buddy, is standing on the, the porch of their house just howling, laughing at me because I'm shaking my, my fist at him as soon as we pull in because now I know what he was grinning about. But, but, yeah, but, yeah, set you, but up. you were in that, 
in that winding road and then all of a sudden it just stopped and it was as flat as a table for as far and it's it didn't seem like we drove 20 minutes but it was just yeah. it was one of the most drastic changes in terrain i think i've ever seen in my life so there's a lot of spots there in that kind of middle to southern indiana and kind of as you work up towards the kankakee river there it's kind of where the the glacial drift stopped so you get some really crazy transitions so like my aunt's farm when i was a kid her property was half really sandy dunes and rolling and big, huge, old, mature oaks. And then it transitioned to this really deep, dark, black soil with river bottom, you know, great soil for crops, completely different mast. Um, so it was like this transition point where that glacial drift just kind of stopped. And there's a lot of that kind of as you get down into that southern Indiana area where you've got just really dramatic changes in topography and you know, soil type and the whole nine. It's pretty crazy. Well, there were some absolutely beautiful animals uh, on that piece of property we hunted. Um, I think, you know, the both years I, I took nice 10 points, big bodied and, and nice. saw, you know, I kept going out to the woods cause I was up there for, for three days and, you know, I, I didn't have it one tag, but I'd still go out there and sit and just, you know, watch the, watch the animals. And, there was there was some bruisers. In fact, the the last time I I went, I really regretted pulling the trigger the first day because the next day I had an absolute beast. Um, oh really? yeah, it was like I said, it's been several years ago before I before I started um, hunting with traditional gear. I can't even remember the year now. It's been a long time ago, but yeah. There's still some good hunting in Indiana, but man, it's getting harder and harder and harder to come by property and any of the public parcels out there with the bow i'd still do it but once firearm season rolled around you, i wouldn't be caught out there you're taking your life into your own hands yeah in some of those spots I, just it's it's pretty challenging now i vaguely remember it resembling somewhat of a war zone um <laughs> when, when it's tough and i mean and it's gotten to the point now where you know tree stands the just the trespass theft I had an incident a couple of years back when we were living back there where I essentially came upon a county cop stealing my tree stand. Really? Yeah. First, I caught him trespassing on opening morning of firearm season and ran him down. And we had a couple of words, exchanged some words. And then not a week and a half later, we caught him out on the piece of property stealing one of my tree stands. Wow. Well, I know the, yeah, the area I hunted was really kind of, and it, I'm sure it's still that way. The first year that I went, um, I carried, uh, hunted, uh, with black powder because there was no centerfire rifles. It's, you know, shotgun mm -hmm. or, or muzzleloader. And I hunted yep. with a muzzleloader. Yep. And then I got to doing some research before I went back again. And I, I was, I had not hunted with rifles for a long time, but I hunted with handguns a lot at the time and got to looking and you could not hunt with a centerfire rifle but you could hunt with a, a handgun in any cartridge you wanted so uh, the second yeah. the second year i went i ended up hunting with a seven millimeter 08 but it was in a a, a handgun <laughs> handgun yeah. indiana's not not real good when it comes to that stuff now now you can use centerfire rifles there which in some of that topography and is heavily densely populated and how much private land there is there kind of scares me i mean it's i don't know it, it's it was an interesting decision for them to pass that legislation to allow it and then when they did it you can tell whoever wrote it had no idea what they were talking about because you got you could use a 300 wind mag but you can't use a 4570 what <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have a cartridge length requirement, and so you could use you can't use a forty five seventy, which you know the ballistics are way closer to a muzzle loader than yeah. a center fire rifle, but you can use a three hundred Win Mag. Yeah, that yeah. wow. Can't figure that one out. Uh, sounds like a, a a politician may have had a hand in that. You think? I'm a hundred percent certain of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was not a game and fish rule that got passed. Yeah. Quite the opposite. Some lobbying money came in and said, boy, we sure would like to sell a bunch of center fire rifles to Hoosiers. <laughs> well, Jarrett, I think we've uh, we've probably managed to, to keep you away from your family long enough. Nick, you got anything else to throw out? No, man, it's been great, Jared. Nice talking to you again. Yeah, you too, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a it's, lot. It's been an absolute blast, Jared. We'll have to get you on again after all of your your escapades this this fall. Um, I am before we before we wrap this up. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to put you on the spot a little bit. So I mentioned earlier that uh, when I when I said uh, sent you a message on Facebook that I was gonna order a pack of broadheads, you offered to send me a a pack uh, on the house, and I turned you down. But uh, what would you think about maybe? Um, throwing a pack of broadheads towards uh, one of our listeners and we'll just do a, a little drawing can i i love it let's do it well i i do appreciate that so we'll uh we'll put that um in the in the intro when we record the intro uh to the next the next podcast the next episode and uh we'll we'll give a pack of we'll give a pack of broadheads away i really do appreciate you supporting us yeah that's awesome yeah you bet yeah thanks again guys i appreciate it all right thanks Jarrett. take care take care nick Yep, you too.